Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. I thought you said uh, Mac Miller. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not coming back. Oh no, I like me. Yeah, it's oh, that hurts a little. Bit. Rest in peace, Mr. Miller. We love you. The the show is a fan of you. Um, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and uh, we are joined today by Hogan Shiro, Doctor Hogan Shiro. A Fulbright scholar studying everything from grizzly bears to chimpanzees and uh, a Yale graduate. How you doing today, Dr. Shiro or Hogan, whatever you want to go by? I apologize I didn't clarify that piece up front. Oh, Hogan's fine. Um, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited about this. I reached out to you. Um, before we get started, I do want to check in with Gary. He has uh, come back from Gulliver's Travels. I want to see uh, what kind of stuff you did out there. What'd you have going on, Gary? I had a bunch of stuff uh, filming boxing in Milwaukee, uh, big rim racing in Mississippi, uh, all kind of other things that uh, I think uh, some of the coolest stuff I've done in a while. And, uh, you know, I had to come back for this one. Uh, super interesting story. And, you know, we're going to probably have a billion questions for you, but thanks for coming on for sure. <laughs> love it gary has the coolest day job uh, or day jobs and they're not by way of somebody bringing them to him they're him pursuing his dreams and constantly checking off blocks of things that he's been trying to obtain forever dedicating it to the now versus somebody else's give it a try hmm, sometimes it works cool. sometimes it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so hogan welcome to the show um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and um, we'll go from there. Okay, yeah. Um, well, you did a nice job with my academic background, so thanks. Um, uh, I grew up in Southern Oregon, as I like to say, like most Oregonians. I was born in California and then raised in Oregon. Um, and grew up hunting, fishing. Um, had a dad who was a hunting and fishing guide. Um mom who worked her tail off for the family and they always taught me kind of like you were talking about Gary about chasing after your dreams that just go for it you know it doesn't matter that that the town you're coming from is 1500 people total and your graduating class was 60 and they didn't even know what a primatologist was you want to go study primates in the field go do it um hell yeah and so yeah, that sounds funny. So shit, dude. I did. Um, it was, uh, and it is. Um, yeah, I, I did and loved it. Um, in fact, I, I often say my my happiest place on earth is is not Disneyland, but is the forests of Africa. And then, um, like a lot of people, grew up a little bit, had a got a family, and became a dad. And now I find myself being a a theater dad a lot of the time, and 
Um, when I'm not oh, doing cool. that, I'm usually consulting, uh, running, running political campaigns. Um, I'm getting ready to do uh, a conflict resolution training for an organization here. Um, so lots of applying what I learned watching chimpanzees to human behavior. That's um, very Prometheus rising. Talking about looking at human evolution in the primal sector versus, you know, the other areas of the brain that we've constructed on top of that. It's a, it's a weird soup, and it looks like you've looked at it from all different directions at the human experience as a whole, or I, like I like to refer to it more so as a condition, the human condition, because I think that we come from a different kind of mindset than we believe we do. And I'm super excited to have you on here because of the fact that you explained that you're applying those primitive man and chimpanzee and bonobos and everything in between understandings and applying them to how we're interacting today and cramming that social conditioning on top of it. And I want to ask you, from your studies of primates, what do you find to be the most predominant trait that exists between the two that we would all be able to see easily um between humans and non-human primates correct okay um that's a good question because there are actually a lot of them i came to the realization that the more i studied and most of my work has been done on chimpanzees um the more i studied chimps the more I saw reflections of us and them just without headphones and fluorescent lights and uh, baseball caps and, and things like that. Um, you know, just without all the, all the cultural trappings, which is a lot, which is, I don't want to minimize that. That's a big part of the human experience or the human condition. That's the cage around the human experience, actually. That is the actual cage that you could be standing in, like a 1980s jungle gym on the playground. And be natural inside of what is all the lenses from the outside that are given to us from culture and society and all that our parents and everything in between. Sure. Yeah. I, I tend when I used to teach classes, I, I used to uh, portray it more like a, um, a layers, you know, thinking of of kind of like the onion metaphor, um, mm -hmm. these layers that are kind of laid on top of it. And I like when you say human condition, because it kind of kind of gives this inkling that it that it's like you're in a hospital and it just requires the right, the right, like to, to it's cure a little the bit condition. of mental illness in there. Oh. It's, well, I look at the, <laughs> my condition is not more of a malady of the, the biological nature. Yeah. I'm talking about that issue with the mind and perception of what we have going on around us, i.e. the masks that we wear and the personalities that we have that are given mm -hmm. by those layers that you're saying, those multiple masks that we have that we carry in a sack that are tied by spider webs, each individual one, but we don't realize it. And we put it on every time we have an interaction with people and we stuff it back in the bag. And as we get older, we get more and more of those fuckers. I definitely don't disagree there. Um, I think it's hard to, hard to narrow it down, but I would say that overall what it taught me was we are apes. No matter how we want to slice it, when we break it down, we're apes. Um, we're very special apes as I often would tell my students and, and other colleagues when we were talking, there isn't a chimpanzee in the world that's sitting around contemplating the masks that it wears in chimpanzee culture. 
There isn't a chimpanzee in the world who's sitting around contemplating, why am I here? What's it all about? Um, and so we are obviously very special apes. Um, but as I, as I often, my daughters have probably heard me say too many times, if you ever forget that you're an ape, just look at your ass in the mirror because you don't have a tail. So you're not a monkey. You're an ape. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, a great, that's a great little take home lesson for folks when they start to get kind of, you know, a little full of themselves. Just, hey, man, you know, you're, you're an ape. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I even have colleagues within anthropology who argue with me about that. They want humans to be put in a distinct class, separate from the other apes. And, and you know, when you break it down, I mean, we all know the kind of, uh, you know, 98 to 99% genetically identical to chimpanzees and bonobos. But beyond that, immune complexes are basically the same. Bonobos are funny, right? Uh, bonobos, bonobos are really interesting, yeah. They saw, we had a zoologist, the, our zookeeper that came on, um, who predominantly worked with uh, monkeys for a long time, and she was pointing out the difference between, this is a long time ago, but one of the things that stuck out to me was with the bonobos, they like to settle conflict or shit with sex. Like, that was one of their methods Absolutely. as a group. Instead of like all the other <laughs> shit that people were going through, they would just run off and handle it and be right back to business again. Conflict solved. Yeah. Out outside of humans, bonobos use sex in a non-reproductive way more than any other primate. And there are a couple groups like they're Miraki, they're they're a South American monkey that that's similar, but not to the extent bonobos, it doesn't matter age, sex social standing what the situation if there's tension someone runs up and takes care of it um as i as i often as i often would point out though <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's definitely worth the laugh carrie you got anything you want to say at this moment <laughs> is a bonobo a chimpanzee they're a separate species um so they're so we have we have two closest rel living relatives in the world. We have chimpanzees and bonobos. Um, bonobos are a species that evolved being separated from other chimpanzee populations by the Congo River in Africa. They couldn't cross the Congo. They were, they were separated to the south, became an isolated population, and evolved into their own species. Um, Interesting. Our separation Super from both is equal, and it's it's you know somewhere between eight and 10 million years ago. Um, Super fascinating. But they are, yeah, they're, uh, if you guys are ever at the San Diego Zoo and Wild Animal Park, they have bonobos in captivity. They don't have chimpanzees. Wow. Um, and occasionally you'll see them putting on these X-rated displays <laughs> for folks. Well, I brought this up for a reason. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think that <laughs> yeah, this ties ahead. into... Um, anthropology and the things that you work through and looking at the human condition again um we like to do things as humans in day-to-day -day society that hangs on cultural norms or societal norms but don't realize that we're stifling primal needs and natures so they create bizarre outcomes in our day-to-day -day lives but we're never aware of them and one of the reasons i brought this up was because the bonobos being that it 
it does have that method of solving conflict. I, it makes me wonder if it's missing on the other side of the river, so to speak, right? Are we, as a society, have we created some kind of bizarre construct to the mating or reproduction of ourselves where we have rituals like things like prom or, you know, wearing certain clothes and doing all these things and fucking, I'm serious. Like these don't exist elsewhere, but we've put all of these bizarre societal constructs around what is what you explained. If you're standing in the jungle, it's just, we're just monkeys without hats, right? That's the only difference is we have all the societal shit. So I'm curious, is that something that we see shaping things and causing a rife just in sexuality as a whole? Yeah, I I don't know because everywhere you go... It's a bizarre go, question, I know. <laughs> well, everywhere you go, though, human populations, no matter if they're European, American, Tasmanian... Uh, you know, Zimbabwe and whatever they are, human human populations have rituals and practices around sex that are pretty complex. Um, there are there are human cultures that um, traditionally they practice uh, the pairing of prepubescent males with older males. They believe that males cannot become fertile unless they ingest the the semen of older males. Um, um, that's a that's a cultural ti practice. Ti time out, time out, time out. Hold on. Now, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, it's disgusting. <laughs> Second of all, there is some weird shit that is only weird through the lenses of somebody from the outside. If you have the construct from the inside, it probably makes sense to somebody. Um, <laughs> No, but, thank you. But the point there is, is that, is that there are tons of things, things that would never even pop up on our radar as rituals that seem like they they would go with sex in any way. Um, what we do know about human sexuality, I would say, is that we use it outside of reproduction more than any other animal that we know of. Um, if you think about even even pre birth control times, males and females, if we're talking about heterosexual couples, males and females use sex as a bonding mechanism in their relationships eh. for this these long term um what what typically are more like serial monogamy, so the seven year itch actually means something. Um, they use that for bonding and we know that that is weird in the animal world. Most, most animals don't do that. Um, even bonobos, females will, will, uh, have sexual relationships and bond with each other. Males will to a, to a little extent with, with one another, um, <clears throat> but not female male bonds. So that, that in itself is, is kind of, uh, I won't say unique, but a special case in humans. Um, but all those cultural trappings around it, absolutely there. I mean, the, the, you know, I use that example of, of the, of the culture that, that pairs up older males with younger males to show that extreme that they're, that 
promise nothing compared to the variation that we see out there with mm. with humans and the things we put around it. The other thing I would say is that humans everywhere, sex is private between partners far more than it is with others. So where, uh, you know, there have been anthropologists who have written about kind of humans acting ashamed or, or hiding their, their, the sex that happens. Um, you know, mostly it happens at night. Mostly it happens um, when you're alone. Obviously there, there are big variations there as well. You know, there are masks can be involved. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can, you can take a trip up to Portland and, and go to Ron Jeremy's sex club if you want. And there it's happening. And, uh, uh, at night, typically, but but there are a lot of people. Not that I wouldn't <laughs> want to engage in anything there. I would go and watch or look at Ron Jeremy's circus or whatever you call it. That's what you call it. You should do a live show from there, Jay. Yeah, yeah. We should. I'll I'll get your ticket right now. Oh, <laughs> you, you should do a live. You, you guys should do a live show. That would be awesome. And you just you just pour, um, you know arrange a few few interviews. Man, it's a fascinating, <laughs> it's a fascinating world, um, that whole entire thing, because it I is. don't know whether, I don't know if there's a right or wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that actually, that that's something, I mean, I, I taught, uh, you know, part of my human evolution courses, I taught the evolution of human sexuality for years, and, and that's, that's one of the hurdles you have to get past is, is kind of, you know, there are, we have a moral compass, all humans mm -hmm. do. But as that, that extreme example I showed you, even cultural practices can tend to overwhelm that moral compass. Um, and and it, it's a tough question because it, it really is, where do you draw that line? And I think for most of us, we kind of know, right? We're, we're like, hey, let's not involve kids in this situation. Let's not involve, you know, um, I think I think most of us kind of have a have a moral compass there, um, and and again, if we're looking at averages across human populations, that tends to hold. So so that example I gave was the very extreme. Um, most most populations, sex is something that occurs typically between teens and older and up. So once kids get into their teenage years. They do what's called sex play. There's a lot of experimentation, figuring out where they fit, who they fit with, who they're attracted to, all of that. Um, in in non-Western populations, we obviously have put the clamps down on that, which is why I think you get prom and other things. It's bizarre. You know, when you have kids who who basically are being watched all the time and, and their behaviors being just suppressed all the time, and then you tell them, oh, yeah, but on prom night, you can get wasted and naked and nobody cares. <laughs> Guess like what Caligula happens? or some shit. It's pretty <laughs> crazy how that works. <laughs> We're so strange, dear. Yeah. <laughs> we have these release valves for our primal urges that we we justify through other things or 
well, we deserve it because we've not done something primal for X amount of time. Right. Yeah, you could do it today because you haven't <laughs> yeah. done it before. It's, like it's prom. It's prom night. You got a corsage, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you rented that well, tuxedo from. Go. You know, you went to the men's warehouse and got that bow tie. So tonight's the night, guy. You know. <laughs> It's really interesting well, when you think I'll, about it that I'll way. Give you, I'll give you another uh, another example. Yeah. I think uh, when you're talking about us suppressing a lot of primal things, I've I've done a lot of writing and speaking on um, the kind of core of being male because one of the things that I focused on in my dissertation was the development of male behavior, looking at how mm. these chimpanzee males they grow up with mom until they hit puberty, and then they they intentionally attach themselves to older males and start hanging out with them and trying to get incorporated into that group because chimpanzee society is built on male relationships. Absolutely. It, it really, it really is. And they, they, they will model their behavior. They literally have behavioral role models. Um, and, and I've, I've looked at that in, in humans as well. And, you know, one of the, one of the really interesting components there is there are cultures like the Maasai, where the Maasai, you go through this period from about, about age 15, 16 to about 25, 26, so about a 10-year period, where you're not expected as a young male to have any real responsibilities as far as decision-making. Like they, they, they know that your brain isn't, isn't all there and that you're just raging hormones. So they send these these young males out and they live in these little warrior groups where they basically yeah. go and raid cattle from neighbors. They protect livestock. They're all mass I consider all cattle in the world to belong to them. So so they they protect their <laughs> cattle from lions, etc. And they basically earn their stripes as a as a as a guy, as a male in their in their society. Um they're, they're just an example of there are lots of cu cultures where there is this period where the culture recognizes, <laughs> yeah, don't ask him to make a rational decision. Right? Yeah, it's like, you know, well, during that same period, what do we do? We ask him to sign up for the military. Yeah, I was we ask say him that. to go to college and sit in class for four hours a day. Bro, and... you're so right. And here's, here's something I want to point out. Compound that with making major political decisions or anything like that, hungry. We're the only creature out there that will forego fucking food in order to play our make-believe yeah. for a while and make decisions in it that change people's lives forever. That's... The only thing I fucking ask is I never get a hungry judge. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't want one that's looking for lunchtime. Uh... Yeah, he post made something on the way into court. <laughs> Bro, I'll Found show up like. with a pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very similar. <laughs> some, some people join gangs. Some people join the band. Some people are in, go into the military. It's like a lot of people at that time end up, you know, joining a certain group or, or going, you know, and that's like mm -hmm. heavily influential part of their life. Like you go left or right and whoever the older, you know, usually it's probably the same gender, the older men, you know, or, or women, depending on what you are, you know, whatever they're doing or path they're on is usually what you're going to follow at least for a while. So in some ways it's the same, I think for well, sure. Gary, 
Gary, that's what that's what actually got me interested in in studying the development of chip behavior is just from my own experience thinking about when I got into high school, I joined the football team and then the basketball team and then the baseball team. And I had this older group of guys who, of course, I thought of as men, right? They were 17-year-old punks. I thought of them as men because um, I was a 14-year-old punk. And Man, that, that sparse goatee and mustache will throw you off every time. You thought it was manhood. Man, that, the Looking at wisps, it. <laughs> yeah, the little wisps will get you. But I, I, and I, and I had a, a best friend when I entered high school. We went two totally different paths. He Man. decided that he was going to hang out with all the, all the, you know, stoner heavy metal kids across the street. They went across the street and smoked all day long, skipped class. He barely made it through high school. And I always thought about, wow, totally that two paths diverge in the road. And which one did I take? Um, and so when I started looking into dissertation research, I saw that chips had this same kind of male bonding situation. And I went, that may be an interesting dissertation to do. So, um, so yeah, I was fortunate that my thesis advisor had a, had a great field site for that. Um, a site called Ngogo in Western Uganda. Um, it's actually being featured on a, a Netflix series coming up called Chimp Empire. Um, that's going to drop here name. in another couple of weeks. Hold on. Who gets the high five yeah. for that fucking name? Like, who is the one <laughs> it's that not named me. that son of a bitch, dude? I want to do the art for this thing. There are so many ways you can my, go with my, Chimp Empire. My guess is it's the production company that did it, um, that, that named it. They're usually the ones who, who come up with that. But that site has the largest chimpanzee community ever recorded. There are over 200 individuals. There are over 35 adult males at any given time. Nope. To give you to give you some comparison, Jane Goodall's most you know her site, which is the most famous site, about sixty to seventy individuals and about nine adult males. So, you know, just a huge amount of of chimps. That's why it's called Chimp Empire because they continue to expand their territory. Their um, and the political maneuvering is is amazing in it, but. I was fortunate enough to be able to study there. My thesis advisor from Yale, David Watts, is one of one of the directors of the site. He and John Matani, who's from University of Michigan, um, I was, you know, lucky that that they accepted me to to go and study there. Um, and yeah, you you can't get away from. Like I said, the more I studied them, the more I went. Okay, so now these huge males are going and playing with these little guys where they're like wrestling with them and chasing them around a tree. What that doesn't do anything for them in their political maneuvering. They're not getting laid. They're not, they're not making babies. <laughs> they're not eating. As you pointed out, Jay, like yeah. all the things that they should be doing, they're, they're playing and they're, and they're 30 year old males that are, that are, you know, chasing a little 12 year old, around a tree for, for 20 minutes. And, and then they, and then they go off and do something else. We could take a note from that. We really should. Yeah, absolutely. We have no business doing half the shit we do and we should be playing with kids and acting like kids. Well, I think, I think that, uh, when we look at humans, we look at something like pickleball. 
<laughs> right? Pickleball is taken off across the country. Everybody loves to play it. What the hell does pickleball do for you in your everyday, except relieve stress, get you in better cardiac, mm-hmm. cardio shape, increase your mobility, all those little things that we don't think of as, yeah, but I'm not getting a raise out of this. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting a date. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Pickleball adds to, I'm just using that as an example, but that playing, finding time to play, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole, I, I, one of my favorite sayings that I, that again, my daughters have heard me say too many times is cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Yeah. Because they tend to be true. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Stereotypes can be in that bucket too. Yeah. But when we talk about, you know, being young at heart, there's a reason that's a cliche. It's because it really does help. Um, and, and again, another lesson from the forest that, that chimps teach you. It's okay to, when you're walking down a trail, just to do somersaults over and over 30 times in a row for no freaking reason. I'm a chimp. You just told me this. This is what I do. I run around my house. My wife is constantly embarrassed of the stupid shit I do. But I feel like at, at a certain point in life, I came to the realization that we're repressing just normal urges to be normal creatures. And we're so intertwined with each other that anything that we're repressing impulsively, it's likely something that was needed elsewhere. So I use the Target high five, right? I think that if I'm walking through Target and everybody gets weird urges to do shit, right? You wouldn't high five a stranger. Why? Because it's something people be like, are you fucking nuts? Why is this guy high fiving people? But I would bet dollars to fucking donuts that if you felt the instant urge to high five a person walking past you, they probably needed it. And it was going to give them something they needed. It would more than likely just intuitively, you could change the entire scenario that's running in their head. It's a mental illness. It's fiction. It's putting a stick in the spoke of the tires. He gets to choose which one he spins again. But you stuck it in there, and you can give him a moment of discernment in his scenario. It's just how things come together. I believe in acting like a kid, dancing, goofing around, using cartoon voices for the dog. Fuck it. I don't care. Who the fuck's going to judge me? <laughs> right? It's a lot more fun than Absolutely. sitting around fucking, well, Gary does judge me. He judges me every time, but we, we discuss this. He uses a scorecard and holds it up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it's it's interesting you say that because um, people who know me know that I have a, a a general policy that I that I go by. I, I have lots of policies in my life and and lots of positions on things, but one of them is if you see me on the street and you need a hug for whatever reason, come and get a Hogan hug. I call I call it Fucking get a Hogan that. hug. Um, I, I've been I've been told that I give really good hugs, um, and not just by people who rely on me. It's the beard. Beard <laughs> gives you hugging powers. I'm telling you. But but yeah, I mean I I do it. You know, and it and I've had I've had people who I haven't seen in years who who walk up and they're like, "Hey man," I go, "How you doing?" It's been a rough week, and I go, "Come on, come on in," and just give them a hug, and. And it's amazing, man, woman, doesn't matter how, mm-hmm. how many people, like you said, there's this little sigh. Yep. 
and uh, and and almost every time I hear, man, I needed that. Yep. And I go, yeah, no problem. Yep. It's that easy sometimes. Similarly, I just did this uh, trip to Disneyland for spring break with my daughter. Um, she's a junior in high school, my younger daughter. And uh, this is my last spring break I get with her before she graduates. And so we went with, with another family. And, um, you know, every parent is just, I mean, if you guys have been to any amusement park, let alone Disneyland, every parent is practically at the end of their rope, right? And of course, <laughs> all the dads are in like team t-shirts that they didn't pick out. They didn't, <laughs> you know, they didn't pick out the Disney or bus t-shirt, including me. Um, and, and so I just, I, I started like, we were there for two days. I started just going around and when I'd see a dad who looked like he was like, wow, okay. You know, like there's beer in the fridge back at the, back at the Airbnb. <laughs> um, I just walk up, give him a little slap on the shoulder and say, Hey dad, you're, you've almost made it through and you got the kids here. That's, that's the important thing. And very similar to the high five. How yep. many guys would look at me with this huge grin and, and I'd be like, next time we're getting team t-shirts just for the dads, you know, or something like that. Yep. And, and that human connection, I think is something that we get really caught up in our everyday lives. And like you're saying, all these trappings and we forget about these kind of basic, just, you know, a slap on the shoulder for somebody as you're, as you're walking by and telling them, Hey, you're doing a good job. You're good. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how far that goes. Especially with, it, uh, you know, since post-COVID and, and people just aren't out as much, people don't go to the office as much. I think human interaction's way down, you know, than it was four or five years ago. Have you seen much of a difference in, in behavior since then? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, I have family who's immune compromised. So during COVID, I was living like a Shaolin monk. I mean, I was, you know, yeah. I was shopping for them and, and not interacting with a lot of people and I'm naturally an extrovert. So it was, it was really tough for, for me as far as just my own keeping my own, what there is of my sanity left. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, it's amazing to me how much I think people now really appreciate that connection mm. and when it happened spontaneously because they went for several years without you know with like six feet away six feet away maybe a fist bump at best and you know it's a it's amazing to me how many people i still like you guys being polite about you know pronouns and names at the beginning of the show i still will ask before i give that that hug to folks you know, are you good with a hug? Um, and, but most people, yeah. And they, and they really appreciate that contact. Um, and I, and I think that was probably one of the most difficult things of the whole thing. I think that's why you had some of the reaction that you had. I think people were freaked out in their subconscious about hey. losing that human connection and didn't even realize it. Well, our entire social construct has been redefined right in front of their eyes. They're seeing the fallacies in the cycle of that tire that I was talking about that you can stick a stick in the spokes. And when they've been running the same cycle over and over and over again, every time the sun comes up and the you know goes down, 
they don't have time to be mindful and look around at the cycles of nature and the cycles of themselves and what people are acting, what people aren't acting. And you either did one of two things when you went into that hibernation phase or that social isolation. You either worked on yourself or it cracked you. One of the two things. You became either more self-aware and started to see what was a choice in how you feel versus what is actually going on around you. Um, what is a anxiety that is rooted in something that doesn't exist yet or something that's already happened. And when you sit in place, you start to understand that, well, if I never leave here, that doesn't exist ever again. Is that actually what's happening to me? I feel like it helped a lot of people. For me personally, I sat down and meditated. That's all I did for, uh, for I think I'm three years in now, all is going on four, and I haven't missed a day of meditation. It was the only way I could survive it, because much like yourself, I'm a bizarre introvert with extroverted tendencies. I will, in moments like you're explaining, if I go to the grocery store, I will tell the person that's in the line that looks like their mom just died, you know, that everything's all right. Or I will give somebody a hug in, you know, in any place. I'll give a shit, right? And I agree with you that those connections are super important. And I love that you pointed out that now they seem to be more appreciated. And sometimes I feel like we need that stick in the spokes of the tire to show us what gratitude is. We have to miss something in order to be grateful for it. Sad, but the rule should be remain grateful for it when you get it back. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, but I, I think this is where humans are more like goldfish than, than chimpanzees. We seem to not have very good memories oh, yeah. for those things. <laughs> no, they don't. And I would like to point out, as a, a Fulbright scholarship, what is it? It's an award that you receive. I think there's so many Nobel laureates that uh, that have it. There's like a, a this is a an elite group of people that get this funding for their research or, or whatever it is. And I can't help but think after looking through all of your credentials that do we all look like we have thumbs for toes to you? Because you're a fucking intelligent dude. You worked with everybody. I feel like your studies didn't need to be in Africa. They could have been on Fifth Avenue and, and you know, Pine Street. Because, dude, you're you're an exceptionally smart man, and you're studying the people around you. And I can't help but think that we look like we've got rocks doing everything we do. Is it hard to turn things. it off? Like, do you are you constantly thinking about that when you see people interacting, or you know, is it is it? Can you just you know, go to the grocery store with your kids and hang out, or do you see like behaviors and you're constantly thinking about, you know, <laughs> or does it go into some part of the brain that, you know, for a later study or like, oh, that, you know, oh, that's just like X, Y, and Z, or is it, are you able to just like ignore? I can't mind my own business. It's been like a problem my whole life. So I'm like, I'm always paying <laughs> way too much attention to what other people are doing. That's why he's a producer yeah, in so television. Tell me to mind my own business since I was it's, three uh, years old. So, like, I can only imagine you studying no, people. No, Gary, that's a great question. It it never turns off. Um, huh. And actually, uh, I've been told by multiple family members that, you know, at some point my brain needs to turn off just in general because, <laughs> um, you know, when I was 
when I was studying for my comprehensive exams for my dissertation, I recorded reading articles and listened to them in my sleep. I wrote part of my dissertation while I was while I was sleeping at night. I would wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've got that that summary for that chapter figured out and type it out. Um, <clears throat> but when I'm in a, a social situation, no, it never turns off. It, it, uh, you like know, airports. I just talked about going to Disneyland. <laughs> oh yeah. Disneyland. Oh, dude, Disneyland will really do it. I, I live next to Disney world and parents of uh, my in-laws have worked there for 20 some odd years. They retired from there. And every time I go there, it is a people watching experience. Like I've never seen. <laughs> Well, it, the most exhausting situations I ever have are when I'm in a place that's really crowded. So Disneyland just wipes me out. If I'm on the streets of New York, oh, I'm done. I can, mm. I, I, I can hike all day long in the forest, uh, you know, in crazy elevation change, everything else. I get on the streets of New York after six hours, my brain is way overloaded and it's because i realized this finally that um it never shuts off and i'm constantly like you're saying gary i'm constantly every person that i see i am basically figuring out what's going on with them and i'm and i'm figuring out where they're at in their lives what's going on and and then i'm tying it to some sort of evolutionary component of well, yeah, of course they're postmenopausal. So what they're worried about is X. Of course they're a twenty-eight-year-old guy. So what they're worried about is Y. <laughs> you don't tell them this, do you? Like that could be a problem. I can uh, see why they're trying to turn off your brain. Is if you were talking to Martha a, 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 and Piggly Wiggly, and you like, said, "Look, you're that's why you're trying to get off the airplane." <laughs> It's not rational that you're <laughs> aggravated about your check right now. Yeah. You might just be having hot flashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. I, 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 I love this character. Like It may not be you, but I love the guy yeah. that has just the greatest intentions in the world with discernment, but has no social awareness. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a hell of I, I like, will, a character. I will occasionally tell my friends. Oh, my friends get it. I don't give a fuck. I, I will occasionally tell friends. Um and and actually, I do I do some uh, coaching for individuals, and it's the perspective I use when I coach. So um, so you know, for example, I had a a, a client, um, early twenties nurse, and he and I were talking about his goals, and I was and I was explaining to him that he's at the age where he's starting to establish himself, and he's and I said, and this is exactly what males everywhere do, human males everywhere do is they start establishing themselves. They start figuring out their future because he was like, man, you know, I was thinking I was out with some friends and I thought I shouldn't spend this money because I'm investing in this, in this little plot of land with my brother and blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's what you do at this age. Rather than fight that, understand it and use it to your advantage. It's the high five. And so getting back, getting back to your earlier point, Jay, of these, kind of primal drivers that we have and recognizing them and incorporating them in and understanding how to use them to your advantage. I think that's an amazing way to look at it because all of us have that primal mind. I, that's why I, I brought up earlier that Prometheus rising thing, and I might be picking the wrong particular book. I'm, that's I believe it's this one, but where it, it, it shows the evolution of humanity in the mind. And I believe that 
societal conditioning and also the evolution of man creates languages that are different than the ones that we speak with our mouths. And I think that we cannot communicate in certain scenarios because of this fact, i.e., you know, location or um, societal or socioeconomic divide or racial divide or whatever they are, that no two groups will have the same lenses to view things through. They will all have different views. And I think um, what we need to do is kind of find a ground where, like you're saying, that we reappreciate contact and start to see that um, rather than judging or figuring out what empathy, you know, should look like, we just allow it to happen and believe people when they tell us what they see. Simple as that. Um, someone like yourself who's has the gift of discernment at whatever point, right? Because that's what we're discussing. We're talking mindfulness and discernment is, is what we're discussing. And I think that that wields a very, very heavy burden and sword at the same time. Because the human ego is fragile. The reality that people walk around with is really an eggshell that they don't realize that it is. In fact, it's actually just dust. You blow it away. And for that reason, I'm curious, do you feel an onus to help society move forward in a manner where they can utilize this understanding or you can utilize this understanding for good and to give people the opportunity to help others? And if so, how? Wow. Um, geez, man, put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I do. Um, you know, when you talked about during the pandemic, what, what did people do? I decided one of the ways that I could, I could kind of help figure things out a little bit is, well, first my, my younger daughter, um, got sick with COVID. We didn't know it at the time. It was early on in the pandemic. Oh, no. She got diagnosed with a, with an unrecognizable pneumonia. Um, and, and got, and got, she didn't have to yeah. be hospitalized, but she got pretty sick. Um, and it was, it was kind of scary there for a little bit. And, um, so I went back into dissertation student mode and became, um, pretty well-versed in the SARS COVID, uh, virus and what we knew about it at the time and basically took that on and was, I was like, you know, this is one way I can help is I can, I can help to kind of help spread actual scientific data, um, through my, through my different networks. Um, another way that I did during the pandemic was I was like, okay, I got a lot of downtime. Don't have a lot of consulting gigs going on. So I'm going to read the federalist papers and, and become basically an expert on the constitution. Cause Hey, why the hell not? Just as relevant as anything else. Why not do it? At least it serves a purpose. Yep. Might, might as well, might as well figure that part out. So, so I did. Um, and, uh, Gave me more more appreciation for for both Madison and Hamilton. Um, Jay was a bit of a slacker in that. No offense to the name it Jay. Continues. Bro, it's um, definite <laughs> slacker right here. Yeah, I keep that legacy rolling strong. <laughs> but but then, you know, I I write I write some popularized articles. Uh, you know, back back when I was a professor, I wrote a a thing for Scientific American on bullying. 
in actually getting at the evolutionary roots of bullying and mm. why kids bully instead of instead of the the kind of social trapping putting on top of it and saying you know if we just if we just give them all hugs they'll all be okay um we have to figure out that bullying actually is a very effective strategy for the kids who get away with it um to learn and to be so angry. we have to you know make sure that they don't get away with it um most recently i wrote a, an article on gender sex and sexuality for an online magazine called open mind mag um that takes top relevant topics of the day and puts a scientific focus on it what does the science actually say and so um being a, a an evolutionary anthropologist it gives me that anthropology background to deal with the gender component but the biological background to deal with the sex component um and and so wrote an article that you know got got received pretty well i think um but the main the main point to it is that gender and non-binary uh multiple genders etc it's a human thing it's what it's what humans do um and it is a uh a social contract and understanding between individuals and their community so it's how the community sees you based on how you present yourself and how you're accepted um gender gender is sometimes based on on biological sex but not always and so again if we start understanding that that that's where that that's where that comes from this isn't it's not like it just dropped out of the sky and it's also not like people who are saying i am transgender are saying and therefore biological sexes aren't real or they shouldn't be saying that because biological sexes are very, very real. They're they're a factual uh, element. And in mammals, sex is set at fertilization chromosomally. So you don't have like a reptile situation where, um, depending on the temperature of the eggs, you're going to get males or females. It doesn't doesn't happen that way in mammals. Um, we have to recognize those facts to be able to deal with the actual reality that, that we have going around. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I do, I do that. Um, quite honestly, it's part of the reason why I do the political work I do is because I, I want so. people to, I want people, yeah, I, I want people to, to have clear, clear minds and I want people to have, uh, and I know that's a big stretch these days, um, but I, I want them to go into the voting booth or like here in Oregon where we vote by mail. Um, when they fill out their ballots, I want them to have the clearest understanding of their choices that they do. Um, and I and I think all of those are things that we can use as tools to help improve the human condition. So I think that's a yeah, beautiful to answer. My part. Right. I, and I love that um, you were hitting on very relevant topics. Um, the Tragedy Academy is very pro LGBTQIA um, plus and every other acronym letter or whatever you want to put on it. We it doesn't matter. You get a seat at our table. And I like the way that you have chosen a role of clarification of fact and allowing people to see and make their own decisions. I don't hear you influencing anybody on what they should like or not like. I hear you uh, basically 
um, translating the information into something that they can take in or ingest on their own and make whatever conclusion they want to from that. But they're not getting somebody else's societal input or some bizarre cultural extra piece or anything like that. The way that you describe that is just cut and dry. And I, I would agree with you 110%. And especially when you say it happens, it's already happened and happening. So to say that it doesn't exist or shouldn't exist is just ridiculous because just by way of it being in the now, it exists. Like, it's so bizarre that anybody would even argue it otherwise. Like, to look at something that is in your face and say it's not in your face is super weird. I don't understand it, but that's a, again, that's a lenses and translation thing, the languages. We all have languages that we understand. Yeah, absolutely. I and I do think, um, I mean, when it comes to, to the gender sex uh, situation, um, I've watched my, my colleagues, in my opinion, make this an even more difficult conversation mm. because there's the whole kind of purity test that goes on um, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, at the extreme sides where, uh, like, you know, I have, I have friends who say, oh, we, we just need to make sure that everyone has a, a living wage and everyone has this and everyone has everything they need. And I say, so you want a socialist utopia? Yeah. Sounds awesome. That's, that's the hard part. But do you have a plan to get us there? Mm. You ask like, you know, chat GPT. Can, can That'll give us the answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe so. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's part of Bing's AI plan when, when they want to become more than a, a machine. They've got a plan to get us to a socialist utopia. They got to change their name, man. I can't take Bing seriously. <laughs> Neither can I. Um, my point there to him is if you don't have a plan to get us there, then we have to deal with the system that we have. Yeah. Right. So stop with the purity test and figure out what fits best with your philosophy. Yeah, I debate this about guns all the time. Exactly. I think we run into the same thing when you're talking about, especially the trans situation. I, I think I think the trans situation is a little bit different than the rest of the LGBTQ community's situation. Um, I think that T, and I've I've heard a few um, queer queer advocates say that they want the T taken out because it's become a, a different a, a slightly different scenario. Um, because you've got this, this mix of, you know, someone who is biologically male or female who hasn't transitioned, who's going, who's claiming that they are this and therefore they should be treated like this in society. Yet, you know, we, we hear the situations of like the college athletes and, and that sort of situation that just muddies the, the waters is all I'm saying is that, is that there are folks who are saying, it's not as clear as we should have the same rights as you guys. We should be able to marry. We should be able to. Why is have that an issue? We should have. We should. That's have the, the same part military. I don't understand. Like, why do we even fucking care? Like, have a family, have a party, do whatever the fuck you want. I'm cool with it. Just don't oh, like. Don't it. sacrifice kids or some shit. You know, like I'm. I don't bomb. Jesus. Don't bomb daycares or anything like that. And I'm good. But Gary actually yeah. has had a really uh, more recent. Um, working relationship and friendship with 
the uh, trans community. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this because he's done a lot of work over the last couple of years in this. I mean, I just, uh, it was something I was not very familiar with until, you know, I, I made friends and colleagues and coworkers. And, you know, it's like anything else, like how you're saying, like it, it's in your face, it exists. Like, how can you say it's not? Like, every one of the people that I know that's trans feels the same way and knows that, you know, they are what they are. But there's people that have never met a trans person or never will that are like, that's not real. That's a dude or that's a chick or whatever. Like, man, that's science, you know? And it's like, okay, science you went to eighth grade you. and podunk somewhere and that's when you... Your, your science stopped, you know, and I think, you know, personally, I think the extremes are crazy on both sides because most of the trans people I know, uh, you know, they don't think that, you know, like someone biologically born male should be able to like do a combat sport against a biologically born female, you know, and some of the extreme things, it's like, yeah, you know, they're like, they should, you know, not be able to do that. But there's like, Karens that are like championing uh, like a lot of different causes that kind of take them over and most of the trans people don't even feel like what that is or gay people or Black Lives Matter or whatever. I love the advocate for the advocate. You know, yeah, and that, that happens a lot and I think like at the end of the day like everyone wants the same shit. They really do. Like they want to be able to be happy and, and feed themselves and their family. Yeah, Gary, that's that's exactly my point with the purity test component is that you get the the extreme perspectives that put this purity test. Do you believe every single thing yeah, that I do? Crazy. And if you don't, you're against me. And, and you know, the re we all know anyone who has lived longer than, than 24 years who has any reflective ability at all knows that you're never going to find a, a group of people who all believe the same thing. Um, you know, there, there always going to be some variation in there. Um, but, I think that in this particular case, what what's happened is, and I, I have professional colleagues who, who study sex, biological sex, so forget the gender component, just sex, who they find that 0.0014% are of, of, you know, humans are born intersex. And, and they make a, they make a gigantic deal out of that, that small tiny component of the population. My point is, again, let's look at humans like they're biological creatures. If you were to look at elephants and find that same number in elephants, you wouldn't pay any attention to the elephant that is born intersex or with no clear indication as a population. I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to those humans as individuals. It's their individual journey, and we need to recognize that, and we need to support that. <clears throat> but we also shouldn't pretend that those data don't exist, that, that the overwhelming majority of humans that are born are born biologically male or biological, biologically female, and that they are, you know, the majority of them are fertile. They're going to develop in a normal human trajectory. Um, and so for me, there's two different discussions that are going on that are being conflated. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I look at it as I've never had a situation 
where being around anyone from any of those letters in that in that group has hampered threatened made my life more difficult um i i think i think maybe the only time i the only time i ever had where it was even an inconvenience in my life was after bears started becoming a very real thing in, in the gay male community, and I, and I had and I had a couple of guys approach me and 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 hit on me, and all I said was, "Not my thing, man. Sorry." And they said, "Oh, cool." Just like if it was a man and a woman. Boy, that was oh, that was so stressful. I, I like I, I think yeah. I need a safe space now. I I'm I'm so stressed out from that. Like I, that's you know you that's just you really do, man. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> and and I and I I mean it's ridiculous. Where I live, where I live in Ashland, I think uh Ashland, Oregon, one of the one of the issues that we have here, I think, is that there's a lot of social signaling if you're affiliated with with folks in that who identify in that community. So for parents who have kids who say that they don't feel like they're a boy or they don't feel like they're a girl. Parents get social status in their little circles mm. by supporting those kids and they should support them, right? You're their parent. You should support them in, in everything they do. Like you said, as long as they're not hurting people um, or themselves. Bingo. Like for me, you don't, I, I don't I don't give people kudos for doing what they should do. Right? If you're if you're a parent, damn. love your kid, damn it. And just and oh wow, you love your you love your gay child. What a stretch for you. You're a hero. Like, no. Yeah. You, that's what you're supposed to that's do. That's like bragging you pay child support. I, I think it's even worse than that. I, that's like that's like bragging that, that you breathe. I mean, you know, for me, I just can't imagine a scenario. <laughs> where I don't love and support my kids. Um, but there is, and, and I think socially, this is, this is why I wrote the article. I think we need to sort that out. We need to stop trying to pigeonhole kids as they are this. They, we're going to identify them as this. We need to let them just be kids and develop. Because what we see his, historically in human cultures is when I said about kids doing sex play and figuring out where they fit in, that is, they're not, they're not expected to take on the gender responsibilities that they may develop into until they figure that out. So if along the way they figure out that, they, that they're non-binary, what we would call non-binary, which they may call two spirits or something like that, that's fine. We got a place for that. That's, that's where I want us to get to as a society where we allow people during their developmental phase to figure yeah. it out and not try to pigeonhole them or place them into, Oh no, you have to identify as male or female. You have to identify as this or that. Um, you know, I, I've, I've watched sixth graders call themselves pansexual i'm like so first off there's nothing sexual about you you're a sixth grade if i would hold on if i were in sixth grade yeah exactly the only way i'm saying i'm pansexual is if i have an actual pan in my head and i'm hitting my crotch with it at sixth grade 
Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't mean, know what the or fuck at 45. I was talking about. Like, that's <laughs> what that would be what I would be doing. Oh, God, sex. I don't fucking know. I'm in 16. I, I, would, I can I would still say see that you doing most, that. Most of them are now. <laughs> most of them are, are hand sexual, if anything. Um, <laughs> and, and I've and I've talked to parents who who have who have told me they're you know they've asked me for for advice with their kid and stuff and and they and they'll say you know well they think that they're that they're pansexual and I'm like first off stop please just stop <laughs> using that term because they're not they're not sexual so they may be attracted to both male and female t- types fine lots of kids are let them just be attracted and just be a kid and figure it out and that's that's where i think we really need to pump the brakes on a lot of things you know i think i think the for the most part we have no idea when we're doing gender affirming surgeries on on kids that are that are under 18 when we're doing hormone replacements we have no idea what the long-term ramifications are because those are relatively new treatments. We don't have the data, eh. and I'm all about the data. Eh. So if we don't have it, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. And that's and that that's where, like Gary, where you're saying, you know, that um, they all that the folks that you've worked with, almost all of them, they know who they are. They're cool with it. They're not they're not trying to push an extreme agenda. Absolutely. Same, same as the folks that I, that I've, that I've hung out with that, that uh, my daughters are part of the LGBTQ community. I mean, I, I have lots of, uh, I would say acquaintances um, and, and some good friends, but you know, I don't, I don't want to overstate, Oh, I've got tons of friends in the, I've got lots of folks that I know in the, in the area, in the community. And that's the thing that I stri- tried to stress in that article, and I'm happy to send it to you guys so you guys can check it out. No, please do. Yeah, I, I want to put it in the that. show notes for everybody to read. We we just need to we just need to 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 realize that humans have this natural process of development and maturation, and part of that is figuring out how they want to be recognized within the community. And if we just allow kids to do that more than trying to and and I think a lot of people have the best of intentions they're trying to support their kid they're trying to they're trying to make sure they don't feel like mm. they're an oddball if we as a society relax a little bit we can you know we can make sure that none of them feel like they're oddballs i i agree with you as a whole we need to just relax a little bit yeah if i'm going to be born right. in a movie let me choose my character don't tell me Right? Yeah. I'm already screwed. I'm already here. Let me at least write my script or my character. Don't fucking tell me what it is and hand it to me like a fucking flyer. Guess what? You're fucking janitor Willie for the rest of your fucking life, and I'm going to accept it. No! Fuck that. Let kids write their script, because I guarantee you it's going to be a fuck ton more creative than you. Right? Let them put something together because if you want to be a space cowboy, I guarantee you that fucker could get there and he'll be the first one riding a rocket with a fucking hat on, swinging it over his head because it's possible because it's all fucking bullshit. Jay, I don't know if you, if you, I don't know if you ever do characters, but I think Janitor Willie should be 
in your wheelhouse if it isn't. Yeah. Ted should be in your in your bullpen. I, I don't know if I just stole from Adam Sandler or not. Was <laughs> what was the jam? <laughs> the old school video or a CD, and now a severe beating of a high school janitor. Like he's not worried about it. He just got the Mark Twain award. Is. He's not paying attention. I remember those. Jesus, there's a Mark Twain award. What is? Is do you, do do they call it a Sammy? <laughs> it's probably something like that. Yeah, that was good. What a dad joke. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta thank you for being here, Hogan. And I, I would continue this show until like four or five hours later if I could. Um, but people will tune out after a certain amount of time. So I'd love to extend uh, an invite to have you back. Um, and I also want to give you a moment uh, before we finish to let everybody know where they can find you, what they can expect, anything that you can help them with, your services. Um, and I hope that in listening to this, they understood that your agenda is not one that other people have in how you coach people. Yours is to help them discern versus teaching them methods is what I've, I've really come to see. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, and thank you guys. This has been a lot of fun and I, I absolutely would love to come back on. Yeah. Uh, so my, my website is youevolving.com. It's Y O U hyphen evolving, or as they say, dash evolving.com. Um, no one seems to recognize the word hyphen anymore. So, uh, so I'll throw that in there. Um, and, and I'm, um, on social media at you evolving all one word. And, and I, the reason I chose that title for my business is specifically because it's, you know, a little play on me being an evolutionary anthropologist, but because my work really is about trying to help people evolve personally. Chain, uh, the simplest definition yeah. of evolution is change over time. And so I want, I want folks who work with me to be able to change over time, and I want to help I want to help give them the tools and the ability to discern or the insights to do that. But it's not about follow these steps and your, and your life is going to be solved. It's about figure out how right. to, how to view where you're at in your life and how to change things to get to where you want to be. Um, so yeah, people can find me uh, at youevolving.com. There's a, a real simple uh, con uh, contact page there. Um, and they can email me directly. Um, I'm currently taking clients. I've got a couple that I'm working with, a teenager and a, and a middle-aged person. So I deal with folks who are at all stages of life um, and, and really love that work. Um, I also uh, do the political consulting, which also is through that page. So I've got Viking campaigns um, uh, in honor of my heritage and, and my fascination with Vikings. Um, and the idea of, I like, I like going berserker in campaigns on occasion. Um, so I've got Viking campaigns through that and then the coaching business. That's cool. That's super cool. Hey, you're a very fascinating dude. And I'm still going to contend that you think we all have thumbs for, on our feet. Like we have to next to you because you have such a diverse understanding of everything that we do that I feel like I can pick up my coffee cup with my fucking foot right now. Thanks. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm <laughs> well, I genuinely appreciate you. Gary, you got anything you want to put out before we go? I know you've been working on a lot of things. Anything you want to announce or are we good this week? I think we're good. I just uh, own a question. Are you good at poker? 
Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, if I want to play, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not much of a gambler, um, primarily because, you know, most of your gambling situations, the house is going to end up winning and I don't like other people getting my hey. money. Um, I, I always have kids that need a coat or shoes or something, so I can't afford to go and gamble shit away. Um, but I've got my, my best friend actually is very good at poker and he has taught me that I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I'd be good too. That's Way very too humble. I like that. That's very humble. I wonder where that comes from because statistically or on paper, you would be the guy dissecting the backside of people's eyeballs all day long as they sat there and made faces at you. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I can, like I said, I can do it. Yeah, I, I can do it. But you know, one of, one of the issues I have with, with when you go to like a poker room is that a lot of them have these relaxed rules where people can wear sunglasses, they can stand up from the table they can put headphones on like, no, no, no. I want, I want it old school. Cause, cause I can't, I can't read you if you've got sunglasses and headphones on. Yeah. Then, just then does it's this. just a matter of, yeah, yeah. It's weird to watch. It's very off putting. Yeah. It, then, it, then it's a matter of me just running probabilities with the cards. Yeah, they'll do it now though. Sunglasses, headphones, hood up. It's like a table of the Unabomber. They, it's they, weird. I actually, I actually thought about, you know, the, like, you've got these poker leagues. I think there should be an old school poker league where none of that's got allowed. Bare naked poker. There Bare you go. Bare naked poker. Yeah. You come in butt ass naked, sit down, <laughs> and you have to play straight up. You can't hide shit. And you got to be able to take it and be able to not give off the signs. Better hope she's not good looking in front of you because you're fucked. Oh, like, you're ruined. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruined, I would tell. <laughs> you better hope it's obvious. <laughs> oh, Sorry. wow. Okay, Gary's going to fall asleep. <laughs> I think you might have just hit on bonobo poker. It's what you might have just hit on there. Oh, bonobo poker. That's what we'll call it. I want to open the bonobo poker room where all disputes are settled. And when you get mad and lose, you can throw shit at each other. Yeah, you can throw shit at each other when you lose, and the pot is whatever you want to make it out to be. Boy, this is really oh my God. off the rails. Well, Chimp, Chimp Empire just got fucking uh, knocked off the... <laughs> I want to watch that. I haven't watched any TV I do want to watch that. I love, I love nature shows. I have since I was a kid. One of my favorite people on the planet is Jack Hanna. Like watching the old, old shows where he just visited everywhere. Something about that voice, something about that feel. Like I could just sit there all day, or like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom or whatever it was back in the day. Yeah. I would just sit there enthralled with it. So I'm really jealous that you're up in Oregon and I have a cousin there and we're talking about going up there. So if I'd come there, I'd love to, to stop by and see since you have such an understanding of that area out there. Um, and again, Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on, man. All right, so remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. Bye.